Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. In all likelihood, you've visited a website built using techniques pioneered by my guest this week, Hampton Catlin. Among his other accomplishments, Hampton created the mobile site for Wikipedia and invented web development languages such as Hamel and Sass that revolutionized the way the modern web is built. Hampton credits his outsider perspective, growing up gay in Florida, for challenging him to see problems differently and recognize solutions that seem obvious only in retrospect. And fair warning, Hampton uses a lot of jargon specific to the world of web development in this episode. If that squicks you, try to imagine he's using terms from any other industry you understand where people work together to build something. That may help you hear how Hampton's stories are really about the confidence to promote your own weird ideas to real people so you can provide value and change the world. Today we are talking to Hampton Catlin, and Hampton has done so many things that I could list out that I don't even know how to introduce him. So I'm going to ask Hampton, how do you introduce yourself these days? Depends to who. I don't know. Well, I normally start with, hi, I'm Hampton. I think that's my (laughs) start. Uh, yeah, no, I've done a lot of random stuff. Yeah, actually, it's it's getting the elevator pitch for myself is is funny because my background is so weird, like enterprise software. We did like I did some of that, tons of open source stuff, like Wikipedia, mobile. I built that, like languages. It was just because it's it's funny. I I feel like I can't um, stick to one thing. And actually, I've I've always thought that's probably had a lot to do with the way that you invented the various things that you've brought into the world. Like I associate you right off the right off the top of my head. First thing I think of is Hamill and Sass. Yeah. Those are definitely the things I think I'm best known for, I guess. Uh, Yeah. A long time ago, I used to be just like the Hamill guy and then it switched to the Sass guy. And then I was the Wikipedia guy. And now I'm, I'm just confused. How do you, how do you explain what Hamill and Sass are to somebody who doesn't understand web development? My career did not start off with a straight out of college, got a good job or anything. Um, yeah, and I got I got my first job. Um, programming had just kind of been a hobby for me. And um, I was working with this team, and we had a problem where people weren't structuring their code properly, um, the, especially their HTML. And um, it was driving me crazy because we would hand it off to the designers and the, who would implement the designs, and nothing was properly tagged. This was especially during the times of the semantic web, quote unquote, I, t- I literally opened up a text pad, I put in a template that I was happy with the design of, I was like, I had felt like I'd structured it properly. And then I just went through and started hitting delete as much as I could. Um, actually, uh, the first talk I gave about it, I went like the example was going starting with regular HTML and then going, Okay, well, we don't need this. We don't need this. Let's boil it down to the structure. Um, and that was basically the way the design uh, was done. And then uh, from that, I uh, Natalie Weizenbaum, I, I built the original uh, kind of engine and parser or whatever that runs it. Um, but that's not my particular forte is, is parser writing um, for languages. So uh, this uh, seven, 
15 year old or 16 year old kid started working on the project who was Natalie and she just started, uh, just took over just pretty fast, like just rewrote everything, um, made it much more performant. She's really good at that stuff. I'm pretty proud now there's a whole slew of languages that are kind of inspired by it, but um, it was kind of the first highly structured, I guess the right way to say it, you know, uh, HTML markup language. And then uh, it was a couple of years after Hamill had kind of taken off. And uh, then I, I, can, I wrote up a spec for what I thought SAS should be, um, which is basically a CSS preprocessor. It's the first CSS preprocessor, which basically just means that, uh, well, we call it uh, CSS with superpowers. So it's like you can write CSS and do a lot of magical things also. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of wrote, I started a repo. I kind of started writing a little bit of the code and I wrote up like a, I think it was called SASTastic at the time. And I wrote up uh, a little bit of how I thought it should work and be, how it should function. And then Nat, uh, Nat and I met up at a conference and I convinced her to help out. And then on, I think on the flight home, by the time her plane landed, uh, she had written, it was working. You, you kind of glossed over something in there that I wanted to address. You mentioned, and then Hamill kind of took off. I'm curious about that process because getting something from I have an idea and it's interesting and I'm putting it out there to people are actually using this thing. That's that's something I'm curious about. There, I, there's no there's no secret. I mean, I talked to I had a friend actually it was the well, this guy was kind of a mentor of mine uh, who was running the company I was working at. Um, uh, Ryan McMinn. He was like. Uh, so he, he was like, you have to give this at a conference. I will pay, like, the company will pay to fly you wherever. And then he's like, apply to the one in London. And I got uh, accepted. Um, and this was just, we'd just been using this internally. Um, it was my weird little thing that we were using. And I didn't think anybody would like it, actually, because um, it's so strange. <laughs> it was very tough for me to go pitch it the first time, because um, I'd never given a conference talk before. And I was at a foreign land, and here are all these famous Rail, uh, Ruby programmers and Rails people. And you know, I, here I am about to propose something that is just wacky, like looks totally different. It's an entirely different thing that nobody said. And I knew that. I mean, I was like, this is weird. Um, and I was like, they're going to hate it. Um, and actually, I, I, I talk about this in some of my conference talks because I'm like, I was such a nerdy gay kid, like, you know, like the friendly guy who's kind of shy and you know whatever um and then i like i kind of just tried to make my i was like who do i want to be um you know who do i need to be in order to sell this and so i just kind of so <laughs> i was like i think i just started smoking and i was like i'm gonna like you know screw everyone i'm just gonna stand there and declare it and you know feeling like a total fake um but you know it's funny like what 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 is being a rebel, I guess? I don't even know. Like, it's, you know, I knew it was a rebellious idea, so I thought I should, I didn't feel like I could pitch it, like, the authentic me. That's interesting, because I I, I think you have a persona that a lot of people interpret as being very um, confident and extroverted, I think, is the way that you come across. And it sounds to me like you may think of yourself more as an introvert. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, this is... <laughs> Uh, I, I refer to myself, like, I, I think of myself as very quantum, like, I make quantum decisions, like, where I, I try to use the, I view the universe as having a lot of options, and things don't necessarily have to be exactly true. Um, like, there is a part of me that is extroverted, and very confident. And then there's definitely the part of me that, you know, I hang out with my next door neighbors, and I hang out at my local bar, where I know everybody who works there. 
and I, you know, I work part time at the bar, being a bar back and cleaning up dishes and stuff because I think that's an important like thing to to not always be in your head and to you know have to work and sweat and feel like you know let customers treat you rude like because they do <laughs> drunk people. Uh, yeah, and you know, I just to be like, hey, clean up the vomit in the bathroom. Um, and you know, at the same time, I, you know, go give speeches about leadership and how to build amazing products, and you know, pitching myself for why these companies should hire me to come change their engineering culture. I, I just I can't imagine understanding the high level without also facing the problems face to face. It's at some level. So you've been working in organizations and you've also started organizations. Does it feel to you like this is something you'd rather work for somebody else as opposed to starting something yourself? Or is this just something that undulates back and forth in your life? We've, my husband and I spent the last year working on WordSet, which is this kind of company we wanted to start that was kind of a passion project. Like it was something that we've discussed for the last five years since, you know, we've been together and it. And, you know, we didn't, it, it wasn't really necessarily a super money-making venture. And, well, our joke is we didn't think it would make a lot of money. And, you know, turns out we were right. Um, <laughs> I, I think I had the theory for a long time that um, if I just quit and had the time to build something, that I could make a business out of it that made money. Um, and it's funny, like, I don't know what it is in my head. But every time I start to do that, there's some part of me that I, I get weird about it. Um, like, it's hard for me to commit to one idea. I, and I can't figure out why the last two years we just have not gone like, ah, this is an idea that makes money and is very straightforward and we want to build it. I, I have this deeply held feeling. Uh, it's that there are, you know, just an infinite number of good ideas out there. Um, and the only thing stopping us from them is, is our brains. Like, we will look back in 10 years and especially in 50 years and we'll be like that is the stupidest thing why do we do it that way um and you know it it was so obvious like i i feel like most invention and most great ideas are obvious the thing i'm always challenging myself is to try to see the obvious thing that i'm missing because i know that there's a trillion companies we could have started that all would make great money we could believe in in retrospect hamill was something that the world needed in retrospect sas was something that the world had to have. It wasn't something, it wasn't going to, we weren't going to be able to make the progress that we did without those things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, you know, well, but then I also go back to the obviousness, though. So it's like, yes, and like, I I mean, we haven't brought this, or I, I kind of mentioned a little bit, but I mean, I think Wikipedia Mobile is probably one of the ones I'm most proud of um, because I'm sure every listener <laughs> used it. Um, and at the time, it it was probably one of the first three mobile sites for smartphones that any major company did. That's true. It was the first first time that a lot of very complex information was being presented in such a small context. Yeah, and I'm, you know, big braggy, but <laughs> it just makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I, I'm, in retrospect, looking back, that is so obvious. Like, obviously, you just format it for a smaller screen. Like, this is, like, there was no other way. Like, <laughs> like... It's just, it's stupid. It had to happen. Somebody was going to build it. Like it wasn't, you know, all these things would have been, somebody else would have done SaaS. Like, absolutely. It's a very straightforward idea. Um, and at some point the growth of the web was going to require that. Um, actually, yeah, I usually think something's a good idea. This is a thing I always tell people. If, if you have an idea and you look around and you're like, this must exist, 
um, you're probably onto a good thing, especially if you if you figure out it doesn't. I thought somebody must have invented all the things I've done. I'm like, there must be a mobile version of Wikipedia, and there was none. And I was like, this wouldn't be that hard. Because, um, like, yeah, a friend was complaining that she couldn't use Wikipedia on her phone, um, and she didn't want to pinch and zoom. And so I was like, I'll make an app. Um, and then that later turned into the official app and website. Um, uh, actually, because they tried to, their, their lawyer called uh, Mike Godwin of Godwin's Law, um, uh, who's been in the news a lot recently, by the way, if you're familiar with that, uh, called me up and it was they were trying to, they were like, you can't use any of the trademarks or anything, so we're gonna we're gonna take down your site. And I was like, well, don't you need a site? So when you talk about the things that that seemed obvious in retrospect, I think the WordSet project that you're working right now feels it has the feel of something like that to me. Because uh, you were you, you were saying something about how out of date the existing open source dictionaries are. They're extreme. I mean, yeah, they're they're based on you know uh, Webster's. I think nineteen nineteen is the is the edition, and they are there's an awful lot of unsavoryness in the dictionary. What sorts of things? Oh, just flat out sexist things, flat out racist things. If if you're interested in that, just Google your dictionary is sexist and we wrote up some blog posts with a bunch of examples of stuff we found. I'm going to do that. It's actually just makes the sentences make a lot more sense. Like, um, there's no re like you can say they in any situation. So like they put on the lipstick, um, or they went to work. Uh, you don't have to say she put on the lipstick and he went to work. Like this is not required in explaining what's going on. One of the things that I liked about the way that you were organizing uh, the WordSet project was you took this problem, which was that your your source file was full of sexist materials, and you kind of turned that into a way to organize your community around making those changes. It was pretty easy to find um, any gendered terms, and yeah, we had the community. Uh, I think I think it was something like fifty thousand edits were required for that particular project um, in order to to kind of go through and, and remove gender. And, and most people who worked on it walked away uh, <laughs> being shocked at what they found. Because um, you don't, you, like, you just don't expect it. You don't expect, you don't expect to actually read, you know, she, you know, raised the children and then he went to work, like, as two, like, you're like, wait, really? Like, we wrote this? Like, the, the biases of whoever wrote this just, um, and, and once you start, when it's funny, when you look at it through that lens, it, I, I think it changed some of the politics of some people who are doing the editing because you're like, whoa, this is like, this is really there. Like, these aren't ghosts against the wall. These are like really obvious gender biases are just in black and white straight in your face. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, she was slapped. And you're like, whoa, what? Like, what's going on here? This is horrible. <laughs> It's interesting trying to inspire people in the open source community to work on a project like this versus working in a company and trying to recruit. And I know you have uh, you've you've talked a bit about some of the parallels between how recruiting is working in organizations based on some of the leadership roles you've had at companies. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of opinions <laughs> by doing a, a, a negative based system of can you find something wrong with somebody? Um, it it really does ensure that cognitive biases are at the forefront <laughs> um it is it is you know it, can you find anything wrong with this person um and and you, you know oftentimes you can like and and to be honest if how are we valuing people that we didn't quote unquote find anything wrong like obviously there's something wrong with all of us like this is not, 
<laughs> like, uh, people, there is a code test that every programmer would fail because there's a bias and there's a background and there's a passion and there's things types of problems that they're better at. Um, and I, th I think it's totally insane that we use negative based systems. Um, and I've been reading a lot about and, and been inspired by a lot of people who are doing um, kind of positive based hiring systems. And really the goal of, well, it's, so it, it, I don't know if you've worked with a really great recruiter before, um, but I mean, I, I've only worked with a couple who were just outstanding. And usually what their talent was, was making the candidate look good. They helped the candidate find a way to describe what they were good at, um, you know, and, and that, that is one of the big, it's, sorry, it's like sales is not to convince somebody. It's to figure out, you know, how, like, how do you show that your product fits with them? How do you have them tell you the problem that, that you need to solve? Um, and so, you know, for me, I think that's, well, it's funny. I think recruiters do that. And then we put people into a, a, a filtering based recruiting pipeline um, at most companies. Uh, and I, I think there's the alternative is, is you, you take uh, uh, people who want to work at your company. You you need to figure out if they're um, if if generally the company is a good fit. That is what the company is doing is exciting to them at minimum, um, and uh, <laughs> that they could be passionate. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, also like you know that that it fits at all with their plans in life. Like, is the technology something they'd be interested in? Um, and then help them design a way that they can show off what they're good at. Um, like help them put their best pitch out there for why they should work at the company and where they might fit in in the team and what value they can bring. Well, so I, I, one of my biggest things is I'm really looking for empathetic people. Um, and that doesn't mean they have to be huggers or something. Um, it means that they uh, really care about people around them and they care about their teams and they, they care about <laughs> the world. Like I can teach an empathetic person to code better. Um, we can we can work on the technology skills. Like um, it's really hard to take a good somebody who's a quote unquote good programmer and then teach them how to care about their team. Um, that is a much more difficult task, and sometimes it is impossible. Um, that was a really long rant. No, that was a good one. And I'm curious if you've ever seen a situation where you thought that recruiting was being done well. So the answer is not well enough. I mean, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna, okay, quick little story. Um, there, I, I did turn down a company that was a, a good company in a lot of ways that I was you know, kind of excited about because they wanted me to do a code test. Um, they used a lot of my software internally and I turned down the job not, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of pride there, but I, I, I kept asking, you know, wh like, why, what do you, what, what is the purpose of this test? What are you trying to figure out about me? Like I have so many open source projects. It was a rails company. I have open source rails apps with thousands of commits for me. I will happily show you this stuff. You can read my, you can read every commit and every mistake I've made, you know, including not flattering ones. Um, and you want me to do a puzzle. Like what, what is the logic here? And they honestly couldn't at all come up with any answer. The only answer I got was, and, and to, sorry, this blew my mind. So I'm sorry if I'm ranting. Um, uh, I was told that uh, his friend told him that that's the way he did it. Um, and that was how they started this policy that they wouldn't break. 
um, had no experience running a team before and didn't know how to hire. And so his friend said, well, this is the problem I give. And so then they've been doing it ever since. Um, and uh, then the second, so which by the way, is not a good reason. It's not a logical reason. My friend told me so. Um, the second thing that was craziest was um, when discussing this, uh, he brought up somebody who would be the best for this role. Like it was like, you know, my friend is exactly the model, you know, and I, I think he was even saying, I think you're a lot like him. You might be great for this, um, you know, and he's like, funny story. I gave him this test years ago and he totally failed it. And we almost didn't hire him because of it, um, which made my brain melt because you're telling me here that you think I'm a great candidate. You think we could work together well. There's this one test that you are going to require absolutely out of all of your candidates and will not budge on. And you're saying that the kind of candidate you want that you can think of fails it? What, what sick system is this? And, I, you know, it's because we're empirical people, right? We're analytical. Uh, most developers, um, we need things to be clear. Um, we need something to make sense. The idea that hiring is messy and that you're going to make mistakes and that teams are not you know if somebody ever tells me again hire you know let's raise the bar um we need to hire a plus plus developers 10x well yeah 10x i i had somebody say well we have six developers uh three of them are world-class developers and the other three not or you know are are extremely good i was like you're 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 taking your developers and you have like a rank um this is, this is not the way that I've seen good teams work. What you're describing is a response to the fear that comes from having to answer mm. to somebody else every time you make a decision. Mm. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I, I fell into that fear um, myself. You know, I don't think I, I turned to this way, but, you know, at Unspace when I'd hire, what I was doing is going out and meeting people. And if I was at a um, meetup and I just met somebody and, you know, they're asking great questions and they seemed really keen we'd bring them in. I mean, that was just the, that was, there was no interview process. It was like, you just talk to them and if they, if they were, you know, rambling on about a cool project they were working on, you're like, obviously this person's good. But do you like, yeah, this person's great. Let's do it. Um, uh, and you know, it's, I, I fell into a more traditional hiring process. And I think a lot of it was being, you know, I think I was the only executive without an MBA. Um, and you know, it, it, it's hard to be confident and say, no, no, you know, the whole industry agrees this is the best practice and uh, the CEO wants it that way and we need to hire A++ people. And I'm, I'm in my new role going to say, no, actually, I'm not going to hire A++ people and we're not going to do basic industry practices. Um, that doesn't exactly, you know, inspire confidence in the uh, other executives if, you, if, you're, if you're saying that. It gets, back to, it gets back to the courage of your convictions, I think, because this is also where you, you decide... You know, do I really want to work with this company if they're if they have policies or practices that don't agree with what I fundamentally believe? Yeah, and it's you know it is um, it is very difficult to find that. You know, it's been I've been looking to find my next role for I think like eleven weeks now. Um, just talking to a lot of different companies, a lot of false starts, a lot of slow things. Like it, it's been surprising to me how. You know, like one, one of the things that I've discovered um, that has surprised me a lot, uh, like truly surprised me, is how much the, of the companies I've talked to, the ones that are remote are a thousand times more functional and productive than the ones that are 
physically based. Yes, I've been finding that too. I it it is blown like it is blown my mind because I I've worked remotely a lot and various you know because open source is basically all remote work, right? Yeah, I mean I I think I worked remote for Wikipedia and stuff like that, and that, that's a pretty remote based culture. Uh, to to be remote, to have a remote culture, and that let me define that doesn't necessarily mean that people don't go into an office that you don't have a desk for them if they want it um, or that they have to live on the other side of the planet necessarily. Um, but to have a remote culture means that most there, there are not normal office hours. Uh, maybe there's some core hours that you set, um, but everybody's communicating asynchronously. The organization itself is transparent. Um, that is the planning is done out in the open. Uh, the, you have you have to build a strong culture and a strong planning process because if you don't, well, like you have to, and you just do because you have to. I wonder about something like that whether it scales because I've seen it work very effectively with organizations that are small enough that you can trust all sixty up like up to sixty people who are working there. But I'm wondering if that would scale beyond that. I it absolutely does. I think. Uh, the 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 falsehood that or the thing that that is dawned on me that has kind of changed my mind is I used to think um, that remote would mean um, people who aren't pulling their weight could hide better, um, and I think the truth and what I what I've been hearing and and as I think back, uh, it's the opposite. People who are pulling their weight become so obvious, so obvious, like they they just stick out like a sore thumb. Um, if, if somebody's have it, because they're, they're not, you're like, oh, you're, wait, you haven't committed any code? Or wait, you haven't even responded to our emails? Like, because what it makes you look at is the code and the process are all you see of your coworkers. You, you see their movement and what they're working on. You don't see their downtime. You don't care about anything else going on. You don't care about their lunch break. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, like showing up early <laughs> doesn't. Talking around the coffee cooler, like the I was just a coffee cooler. I need to get one of those. Um, <laughs> talking around the coffee cooler, uh, yeah, and, and those things can really, I think they can really hide people where they they need help or mentorship or they need to have a talk about. Like it's funny, I actually think that it's more hidden and and when you when you're in real life, it's more done in meetings and in face to face conversations. A lot of the planning and and tracking of projects. Um, and the documentation of that sort of thing. I mean, that, that gets lost completely when it's face-to-face. Yeah, because well, you're like, oh, it's done? Great. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the junior developer in the other room doesn't know, doesn't even know what the expectations of how to be a good team member. Like, it, you're not observing it. It mostly seems like sitting in meetings that they're in. So this is interesting because it sounds like um, you, you've been looking for the last 11 weeks. And um, it sounds to me like you're formulating a vision for yourself of what, the company you want to work for is supposed to be. Are you finding any companies out there that match that vision? I, it's more about, like, it's my job to bring that vision. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm definitely pretty clear in my head on how I want to run my next organization. Um, I don't need it to be like that now. I just need uh, uh, the rest of the leadership team to do their part and be awesome at it because um, I don't want to be in a situation where I do everything right, but we just fail in some other aspect of the company. Um, and and I you know I need their support to build this kind of awesome organization. And you know there are definitely companies that are open to that. There's a lot of CEOs that are open to that. I think what's really challenging is 
<laughs> the process, it is such a huge decision for these companies who they pick. So I'm mostly looking at software companies and whoever this CTO or VPNs or whatever, um, that, that matters. Like that is probably the biggest decision that company would make. I mean, it is literally the business that they're in. It's one of the most material things to their venture capitalists who are investing in them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people involved in making that decision. There have to be a lot of thumbs up um, and no hesitation. You know, at some point I'm just like, why am I trying so hard? Like, I know I could get a well-paid position just being a Rails monkey, not to be insulting, but you know, I've been doing that for years. They'd pay well. Um, I can just get some good work done. There's something to be said for doing that too. I mean, it not only keeps your head in the tech, but it also keeps your perspective, just like being a barback, it keeps your perspective on who those individual workers are in the organization that you're trying to lead. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think where my head's at those that, you know, the last two years have been, you know, right, it's, our, our companies and projects have been super small, you know, so it's between me and my husband, we have to code everything. Um, and I think what I'm really missing is the team stuff. I mean, I think that's what, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, you know, we, we had one employee, you know, but... It's, it's not the same as um, really having a mission and having other people really need you to deliver that um, in a very, um, you know, like we believe in WordSet's mission, but I don't know. It, it never felt, there weren't a bunch of people being like, oh, please, please, please edit those definitions. Oh, we need it. Um, and, you know, I, I think I really missed the, uh, yeah, every everybody kind of, pointing in the same direction and really building out something big. And I think I, I didn't realize how much I missed that. No, I, I, I recognize that and I, I respect that. It's, a, it's something I've felt myself. I've gone from working as an individual contributor in an organization and feeling that sense of being part of something bigger than myself to running my own thing and feeling like I have to encompass everything. And sometimes that's very liberating, but sometimes that's also terrifying. It is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of um, continued, well, well, keeping yourself motivated, I think, is very challenging, challenging when you're working independently without a team around you. Yes, um, <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of good work done. I'm very proud. Of it. And actually, I think it's been a pretty productive year. But, you know, it's a lot when you know that other people are really relying on you and really trusting you and and you feel like there's a really uh, People are believing in you. Um, I think it has a whole different um, feel. I can see that. How, how have you managed to keep yourself motivated? <laughs> uh, liquor. Um, no, I, I'll put that in the show notes. Any particular brand? <laughs> uh, all, all of them. Um, <laughs> wait, hold on. I'll go with a vague fear of death. Is that a good one? Um, no, look, I'm staying motivated. I, I don't know if I'm pretty great at it, um, to be honest. I, I don't feel like, I mean, you pointed out like I've worked on a lot of different projects. I do a lot of things. I've, I've produced a lot of stuff. Um, it doesn't feel like it from, you know, my desk chair. Um, I don't, I don't tend to respond well myself to, um, detail and demanded structure. It just doesn't, uh, tend to motivate me. I tend to work better with uh, bigger, ambiguous goals. Um, and I, it's more of a personality thing with myself. I don't think most developers work that way. Um, but for me, uh, you know, 
if I'm assigned three things, uh, it most, mostly just makes me anxious. Um, like <laughs> I tend to get less done. So given, given all the things that you have accomplished, I'm, how do you measure your success? I, well, I mean, for me, the thing that got me into this whole career, to be honest, outside of whatever, I read a programming book and thought it sounded cool. Um, do you have degrees in this or do you just te teach yourself? No, I, I mean, I, I don't have a degree. Uh, I, did, I did go to school for a bit for computer science. Um, I, did, I did teach myself mostly. Um, I actually, I didn't have a computer for a while as a kid because the computer, my Apple TGS broke. And, uh, I, there was a book that we had called learning basic. And I, I think I was bored and homesick or something. I think I was faking sick and I was like 10 years old. And I just read this book, um, without having a computer. <laughs> and, um, it, it seemed to me like there was this world of possibility. Like it, it, it every page I was like, wait, what about, you know, if I wanted to determine something based on, you know, what a variable's value was or something, like, what if I want to store that string? And I would turn to the next page and be like, oh, conditionals, what? Like, it's reading <laughs> my mind. Like, um, it, it was like everything. And it, it seemed, it kind of was like a God complex thing in that. Because I was like, you could do anything. Like, I could describe anything in this. Like, uh, I could write any text game I wanted. Like, I, the secret of computers was right here in front of me. I think that that's a feeling that a lot of people resonate with when they start looking into programming and realizing how much power there was in there. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a, ter it's a terrifying wall of power because it's your responsibility not to mess it up. Um, and there's so much you'll never know. Um, but, you know, I, I actually wasn't planning on going into computers. Um, I was either going to be a high school teacher or I was going to go into theater. Um, so my intended major when I first went to university was actually theater. Um, and then I, I had taken a couple CS courses in high school, which my, my high school had it. And I, 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 I found it too easy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, that sounds so. But uh, I did. Like, they gave us a book. Actually, it was one of the few. I, it was perfect for me because they handed, the teacher handed a big book. It was like, I, you know, each one of these is a challenge and, you know, there's like a hundred challenges and over the year you need to do all of them um, and just put them in a folder and name the files, whatever, and turn them in whenever you want. Right. And I, I think I finished it in like three months, <laughs> like, and then I just had the rest of the year and I could just, it was like an off period. Um, and I thought like, how cool is this? This is the best class ever. Like, <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Okay. I mean, this is a really long answer. The thing that converted me back to actually doing this, you know, that I, that I thought technology was the thing I really wanted to do with my life um, was I, I actually made a joke website um, called Sorry Cow. And it was a tongue in cheek apology to cows um, for eating their delicious meat. Um, and it was back in live journal days. And this thing like took off. I don't even remember. I, it was a lot of people signed this fake apology letter and they would share a little badge on their live journal <laughs> um, and it was funny. It was just a joke. It was like this funny, like vegetarians thought it was funny. And then meat eaters thought it was funny. It was making fun of, I think it, like the, the end was, you know, like, sorry, sorry, there's no other choice except for eating you. If we could literally think of anything else, we would do that. Uh, and, uh, I, I thought it was funny. Anyway, it took off and I, I mean, like a hundred thousand, I don't remember numbers long, long ago numbers. Uh, I, I, I was hoping it would be a million before uh, I took the site down, but. Um, who knows what the real number was? Um, let's let's say 
50,000. Let's go with that. Well, it gets back to the question of how you measure success. <laughs> well, right. And it was that people were laughing and having a shared debate and experience and people were having an emotional reaction. People were sharing like that. The fact that something I built in my dorm room just as a joke um, that I think we were at a Waffle House and I wrote up the letter that I thought would be funny. Um, and like that I built it in a couple of days and it was like really you know, it was so stupid that technology was <laughs> single form. Uh, but I was so proud and, and that, having that effect on people, even if it was a joke, meant so much to me. Um, and then a bit later, I ended up uh, helping out with this Canadian. Uh, this was before I lived in Canada, actually, weirdly. I, I, I built like a site that helped like political visibility. Or I, I did it with this guy named Corey, um, Corey Horner, uh, called HowTheyVote.ca. And it was like a government. Like it, it took it so you could see everything that all the MPs in Canada voted for. And everything they said, you could look up what they said. And there was nothing like that um, available. So we, we kind of digitized the Canadian uh, parliament. And, um, you know, that, that it was like, <laughs> it was like in the news media, we were getting like during election time, we we're getting like hundreds of thousands of hits. People are, you know, calling out. It dawned on me. I, I think I just read about that project and, and then I started kind of took over. Um, was, I mean, it, like I could actually affect democracy. Like, <laughs> like just by doing that stupid thing that that stupid book I read that I thought I could make a cool video game out of. Uh, I could affect people's lives. So the way I measure my success is by the the effect I have on people's lives. Um, the I the, the the things that make my heart swell are that you know they're jobs that are just SaaS jobs. Like that's a job now. That like that is that blows my mind. I like I feel so humbled that that exists. And then when I think back to like people using Wikipedia Mobile and like. It would be Friday nights and Saturday nights, Eastern and West Coast Standard. Actually, it started in Europe uh, about 7 o'clock, and then it would, it would go through the coast. Those were our peak hours. And it was everybody out in bars getting into arguments about something and looking it up. <laughs> yes, I can picture it. Yeah. That was, you're sitting around with your friends. You're like, wait, what was that? Um, people, that's still how people use it. You're out with friends, and somebody is declaring something. You go look it up to have a discussion because um, you're not – people at work don't use Wikipedia Mobile very much. Um, and, and that, that, like, I made a thing that actually changed the way that people have conversation in bars. Like, what? That's, I mean, that, that makes me, I can't even, um, I can't even, I'm so, yeah. Wow. And, and that's one of the things about the, the, the WordSet project you're working on right now. You are changing the way that people think of the definitions of the words that we use to express ourselves, which forms our concept of the reality that we live in. Yeah, unfortunately, most people don't seem to care about it. Too much, so. <laughs> care about it. People care. Look, it's, it's, it's one of those projects that, like Michael and I said, when we started on it, we knew it wasn't going to, you know, be able to pay our bills for very long. Uh, or, you know, we were maybe we'd come up with something. Uh, but uh, we knew it, at worst case, if we spent a year on it um, and really concentrated on it, um, that there would just be a better open dictionary. Like, that just one year of your life and what you've done is, like, this dictionary is now out there and there is, an, there is another open alternative to the other things. And, you know, it's one of those things that, like, is it going to change the whole planet at once? No. Um, uh, is it? But but it does make things just a little bit better, and it will outlive us 
by a long, long time. Sure, it certainly will. If if uh, you know the dictionary from nineteen nineteen was the basis, and that's what uh, that's what you're building on top of. But I tell you, there are there, there are word nerds out here like me who do appreciate that. Um, well, if there's any rich word nerds out there, we'd love a sponsor to make it more awesome. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I have yet to have my big exit. That's that's next on my that's my big to do list item. Just you know become one of those rich tech dudes. That's interesting. When you do your big exit, do you know where you're going to exit to? Do you have any idea? I just keep doing this. What are you talking about? Wait, I, I probably keep doing this. Uh, I really want to write a screenplay. Um, that's movies are something I really am super, the structure of movies, the the memes and the concepts in movies, uh, I find fascinating and, and something I really like to study. Um, I would love to, to try to craft a story that that makes people think. Mm, I wonder what, what what you're going to create that will end up becoming the sass of the movie industry. Well, this is way off topic of the podcast. Uh, I, I do have a half-finished uh, short novel that I would totally turn into. I think I have a version of it that's a movie script version. And it's uh, it's it's called Rocket Man. And it's about a, a, a guy who kind of has a midlife crisis um, and uh, has a breakdown and just starts destroying his life and his wife leaves him and uh you know he starts seeing jesus hanging out with him and um in his hotel room and kind of uh i, I actually think he starts uh lighting things on fire um <laughs> secretly from his corporate job um so it's kind of like an anarchist surrealist uh statement about the kind of modern the or the the late 20th century concept of a of what an adult male should be um, you can so. pitch it as falling down meets Fight Club. Yeah, it's, it definitely it definitely kind of hits a lot of the kind of Fight Cluby stuff. Um, I guess it's a, you know, I, I think there's something about like for me being gay is something that very much challenged me when I was younger. You know, I was very religious. I grew up in a very conservative family, very loving but very conservative. And you know, when all the rules of your life break. Like that's not supposed to happen. I was a nice kid. Like what, why, why me? What rule made this happen to me? Why, why do I like guys? Like what, um, you know, what I'm reading doesn't seem to fit this. I like this breaks everything in, in my known universe. Like, um, why would this be me? I haven't done anything. Um, and I think that it's funny. Like I think of fight clubs, sorry, like Chuck Palahniuk, uh, you know, is, is gay and, you know, there's very much a thing in his books, uh, about the world that we see we don't trust and we want to change um the rules that everybody else seems to think are uh permanent and real um aren't and i think that is something that has always influenced my thought i, I don't think i'd be the same person if i didn't have to kind of <laughs> come out in the deep south um because it, it just changes it just it just makes you realize that there's so much that just seems to be like gravity just seems it, it is there, right? There's this truth, right? Like my, my youth group was my truth and, and they were telling me things about, uh, you know, sexuality that weren't my experience. And so it made me go, wait, so, something's up here. Where's the disconnect? And then you start questioning other things about the rest of the world. And, you know, well, wait, is this really true? Is this, does this really have to be true? Um, is everybody else thinking clearly right now? Um, and it, it really, I think sets that path of questioning and, and being humble about being wrong. Like, like I always say, like there's a trillion outcomes in this universe and a trillion ideas. And, you know, t 
technology is that moving that wheel just one step closer to to well so who knows I, I don't even know where we're going um i'm having fun getting there though it's wonderful i i think you you found a way to take take your outsider perspective and make it into a blessing because you've it forces you to see things from the perspective of the foundations are not there what is reality and what can i change and how much can i affect hey, there's, there's nothing like taking a uh, american white guy with a private school upbringing and then giving him an outsider perspective um it's like my my privilege privilege level is somewhere near uh maximum um and uh yeah you know uh, having having the having the privilege of having all that privilege and then um you know like i i definitely recognize that i started off with with a big score uh and you know i think i think if but i i do think if if i i hadn't been gay my life would have been just very different i think i would have probably not questioned things i think i'd probably be a high school teacher uh, in, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and I think that I've decided to use my, my powers for changing things as, as much as I can. <laughs> I think we're all glad that you did because you've definitely, you've had a huge impact on the world and I can't wait to see what you do next. That's, that's very sweet. <laughs> so thank you for, uh, for joining us and uh, sharing all of your, uh, your background and your history on this uh, podcast. And I, I appreciate your making the time to come and speak with us. No problem. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.